Craft Beer Radio presents Rocky Mountain Sigh, uncanny craft beer and food from Colorado at Savor 2009 with Marty Jones of Oscar Blues Brewery. Marty discusses and serves the gourmet canned craft beers of pioneering brewery Oscar Blues. Beers will be matched with small batch culinary treats from Colorado's growing list of food artisans. You can find the rest of the Savor salons at craftbeerradio.com slash savor. Craft Beer Radio is a free podcast available from our website or on iTunes. Thanks for uh, coming to Savor. Uh, this uh, salon, or saloon, as the case may be, is uh, Rocky Mountain Psy, uh, uncanny craft beer and food from Colorado with Marty Jones. Uh, Marty is... Uh, yes. Marty is a uh, lead singer and idea man for Oscar Blues Brewing Company. Um, I remember touring Oscar Blues, oh, I don't know, five or six years ago, and they had this really cute little two-head canning uh, unit where it would take about, I don't know, 45 seconds to can two beers. And uh, things have changed since then uh, from being you know, primarily a brew pub uh, operation in Lyons, Colorado. They're now uh, doing uh, the brew pub as well as uh, two packaging brewers, one in breweries, one in Lyons, one in Longmont, Colorado. And uh, uh, they are clearly one of the fastest-growing uh, brewing companies in the country. And um, Marty, <laughs> Marty here lives in a Kolsch-free zone in Denver, Colorado, which uh, interpret that as you will. Yes. <laughs> but uh, please join me in uh, welcoming Marty Jones. Thank you all very much. Okay, before we get started, a little bit of loose. Okay, they told me not to play any music, but we have to play a few Oh, notes. wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Speaking of music, uh, on your way out, Marty has a uh, CD for everybody. So uh, um, grab a CD from uh, one of the volunteers at the door on the way out uh, from the salon. That's right. It's a, it's, a, it's a very limited release collection available only here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. You've heard of the Beatles' Let It Be. This is Marty Jones' Let It Beer. So... <laughs> Five songs of mine off my previous two records. Actually, I'd, if you don't mind, I'd rather talk about my new band and just scratch the whole beer thing, but just choking. But yeah, we'll give you this on the way out. Um, thank you, Paul, very much for the lovely introduction. Thank you all for coming here. It's, it's, uh, I must say this event raises the bar for the settings of beer tastings uh, considerably, I'd say. It's... it's uh, it's like no other, so this is really great. I had the pleasure of, and my, I, I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, and I've been sort of stomping around the old home turf for the past week. It's been great, but back when I lived in Virginia, my band actually played this building about 15 years ago, and it was, it was really exciting. It was the nicest gig we ever played, and we made enough dough in that one gig to pay for our recording budget for the last CD, so it was very exciting. But anyway, about beer. In November of 2002, our company became the first U.S. craft brewer to brew and can its own beer. Prior to us making that move, a couple of larger craft breweries had had some of their beer brewed and canned under contract by other companies, much larger companies. Um, we're the first to do it ourselves. How did that happen? We got an unsolicited fax in the summer of 2002 from a little company in Canada called Cask. And they sent out this little sheet of paper to, I think, all 1,400 brewers in America. It said, can your own beer. And at the time, we were looking for a way to start packaging some beer to expand our reach outside of Lyons, Colorado. It's a town of, at that time, about 1,200 people. 
Um, so Dale, our founder, got that piece of unsolicited information, laughed out loud for a couple weeks. Our brewer laughed out loud for another couple weeks, and we just kept right on going and thought, finally he thought, you know, this would be a really clever way to promote our brew pub outside of our 1,200-person town. So we bought the machine, and as Paul pointed out, it sat on a tabletop, it filled two cans at once, it seemed one can at a time. Rather than put a something light and accessible in that can, we thought, no, we're going we're gonna to shatter the perceptions of cans, and we put our Dale's Pale Ale in that can. That's our flagship beer. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, at the time, we thought, well, this would be a funny way to promote the pub, get us a little attention, but then, and we can't take credit for forethought here, but then we discovered a lot of things about cans that, like most consumers, we didn't know. Cans are really good for beer. The biggest enemy, thank you, sir, the biggest two enemies to fresh beer are light and oxygen. In a can, no light gets through, obviously. So if you're putting a big hoppy pale ale in a can, it'll never be light struck. That was awfully appealing. Oxygen is another problem for beer. Over time, there can be the ingress of oxygen under a crown cap. It causes beers to go stale, picks up flavors of old paper, cardboard, those are the oxidization. In a can, that doesn't happen. It's an airtight seal. Then we discovered, the, the, and what was most appealing for us about cans to start with is we like to do things outdoors. We're in Colorado. A lot of people spend a lot of time, especially in the spring and summer, outdoors. And we knew this would be a great way for us and our fans to take really good beer into the backcountry. So we thought we'll give the machine. We thought this is kind of revolutionary. A revolution needs a title. We called ours the canned beer apocalypse. One can at a time. So that's how we started. Before can number one, we did 700 barrels of beer in our little brew pub. Uh, shortly after launching our apocalyptic endeavor, that's right, sorry, um, things started growing. Um, we moved our little canning line. See you, Lisa. My wife, ladies and gentlemen, the woman who makes it all possible. Thank you, honey. Um, she's heard this. That's right. It's old news to her. But anyway, things quickly took off. Um, we had to move our little canning operation into an abandoned barn that was next to our brew pub. We cleared out some beehives, uh, quickly filled up that the footprint of that building, built a small building next door, and we've been growing ever since. Uh, prior to our first can, we did 700 barrels of beer. Last year, we did about 19,500 barrels of beer, and this year, we're going to do about 30,000 in a brand-new facility in Longmont. So it's been very exciting. And we're extremely grateful for folks like you who had the courage to buy an $8 six-pack of canned beer off their local shelf. So without you, none of this would happen. Thank you, sir. Um, but we should drink some beer while we're talking about beer, don't you think? Yeah. Sorry about that. Here comes our first beer, and this is our new beer. This is Mama's Little Yellow Pills. Thank you, sir. Um, if you're familiar with our beer, we started with Dale's Pale Ale, 6.5% alcohol, 65 bittering units, a very assertive American strong pale ale, and the idea of that beer in a can was to spin people's heads around and give them a canned beer like they'd never had before. Well, this is a different sort of beer here. Since we started, we had people saying, you know, I love the idea of a locally made canned beer, but your beers are too big for me and some of my customers. And our response has been, we're sorry to hear that, but we make beer for us first, for people who think like us second, 
We'll see what we can do. Seven years down the road, Mama's Little Yellow Pills. It's an all-malt Czech-style Pilsner. Oh, yes, I do need it. I have one. Okay. It's um, unlike, as you probably know, most mass-market canned Pilsners are made with a hearty amount of corn and rice. There's no corn and rice in that beer. It's 100% malted barley. The uh, bittering hop is Sots hops, the classic Czechoslovakian Pilsner hop. And the finishing hop is a hop called Opel. It's a new sort of hybrid German hop. It's uh, very light-bodied, refreshing, hopefully a ele- more elegant version of the diluted, watered-down style that most Americans are, have been used to drinking. So, Got those nice sort of crusty, biscuity flavors in the middle. Uh, it's about 20 IBUs. The alcohol is 5.3%. By volume for us, it's a very much a low-alcohol beer. So everybody got a taste there? Cool. So, And we were a little bit concerned because... We've been putting really big, assertive, but elegant beers in cans. And we were concerned that some people would think, ah, the Oscar Blues guys, they're, they're caving in. They're, they're cashing in with this, this you know, more ex- embraceable beer. But the reality was we have a staff of brewers who have been really itching to make a very unforgiving style of beer so that they could flex their brewing muscle and show what they can do on a beer of more subtlety and understanding. So that's what we have here. So. How, how do you like the beer? That's exactly right. <laughs> yep. And when we made the first batches, we, this was a draft-only beer for the past year in our brew pub in Lyons. And then we transferred that recipe over to Longmont, where we can all of our beer. And... Okay. <laughs> hope we're not drowning anybody out. Um, but it, because the style of beer is so unforgiving... It took a lot of work and effort to replicate that recipe in Lyons. We have a 20-barrel brew system in Longmont in our new facility. We have a 50-barrel brew house, and it takes two batches to fill a 100-barrel tank. And it really does present some challenges to your brewers, too. So, Anybody have any questions about that? Is there anyone from the government in here? Yeah. (laughs) Who are you with? All right. You're not in the CIA, are you? I'm just kind of surprised that uh, the Tax and Trade Bureau would approve a label for Mama's Little Yellow Pills. You know... Isn't that a drug <laughs> reference? We were kind of surprised by that too, Paul. <laughs> What's that? Um, no, we've had a lot of names for beer shot down by the TTB over the years. Uh, it's, it's funny sometimes, the things that they deem a threat to America... Um, but yes, the wording on a can of beer has been, um, for a while, we were going to put out a, a beer, a cream ale that we were going to call Money Shot, and uh, <laughs> that didn't get over too well either with, with the TTB, and we're kind of glad they rejected anyway, so. Um, but, but yeah, it, the TTB has some very strict rules about what you can do with beer, but somehow this got through, and we're very happy about it. As you probably know, Mama's Little Yellow Pills in the South... That's a reference to uh, Valium or Doan's pills. And, but in this case, this is Doan's pills, perhaps. So, anyway, that's our defense. So, that's another thing. Yes. It's, yeah. If you're from Britain and you're Mick Jagger, it's Mama's mother's little helper. That's right. So, anyway, so this is our latest spring summer beer available in the Washington, Virginia, Maryland area, and DC in your favorite store. So, 
Anybody have a question? Is that right? Yeah, at a restaurant I had Old Chubb and I really liked it, but I oh, haven't good. seen any of your others in the D.C. area. The best way to fix that is go to the store that has Old Chubb and say, I understand these guys carry three or four other really exciting beers. If you'd carry them, I would buy them on a regular basis. Well, this is actually at a restaurant. Oh, is that right? Yeah. The argument works there, too. <laughs> it's very effective. Or you shoot me an email at marty at oscarblues.com. That's Oscar with a K. Let me know where you shop, be it a bar, a restaurant, or a package store. We'll get in touch with those people. Follow up on your impassioned request to get the beer in, and usually it's quite effective. So, um. Oh, great. Right on. What's, what's that? You at Legends Distributing in Washington? Um, we are with Legends in Maryland, and we're now with a new distributor in Virginia. It's the Brown in Richmond. And Hoffman Beverage down in Tidewater. So, in, uh, if anybody's in Maryland, starting about three or four weeks, there we go. So that's three tools you have to get our beer into your mouth. Mr. Jones, no I have a question. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, considering Dale is an Alabamian, and yes. Alabama just freed the hops, are you guys going to be down there soon? We will be there pretty soon, yes. We've had some unofficial talks with distributors there. Um, but, yes, thank you, Bradley. Yeah, Dale is from Alabama, and they've just now, if you haven't heard, they've raised the alcohol limit on beer. So now he's no longer a fugitive in his home state, and we can sell beer there. So it's pretty exciting. Um, a quick thing about cans. When we started our endeavor, we heard from people, a few people, People in the craft trade who said this is genius, Paul was one of the first, <laughs> said this is a brilliant idea. We heard from a lot of retailers who said this sounds like a funny idea, but no consumer will ever spend a craft beer price for beer in a can because the consumer has been hypnotized or had a mind mill that tells him canned beer is cruddy beer. And generally that has been the case. But Thanks to us, and now about 35 other craft brewers in America who have followed our lead and now can their beer, the images of cans have dramatically changed. It's really funny now. A couple years ago, in the, um, the New Brewer, which is the magazine of the Brewers Association, in their annual roundup of growth and sales in the country, there was a picture of cans. It was kind of the first for us. Now when you get the application from a festival, in the old days it said, will your, will your beer be in kegs or bottles? Now most of them say kegs, bottles, or cans. So we made some progress, but we've had to spend a lot of time educating the consumer about the myths of cans. You probably, folks here, probably don't have any misconceptions. You know the truth. But in case you don't, the truth is the modern-day can and its lid are lined with a water-based coating, so beer and metal never touch. There is no exchange of flavor between beer and the modern-day aluminum can. Many people, when they taste a canned beer for the first time, they think, I taste metallic flavors. Their brain may be telling them that, but the beer is not delivering metallic flavors. It's a matter of perception. So we just want to clear that myth up for good. If any of you still, at the end of this hour do not believe it we will all get together and do a laying on of hands on you and purge the last vestiges of can myths from your soul before you leave so no there is no exchange of flavor there's no transfer of metal yeah so 
But it's very important. But we've had to spend a great deal of our time educating the consumer about those misconceptions. And it's been a little bit difficult in many ways because that misconception is so deeply implanted in people's brains. But, but this is something that might help. This is the new men's health, and this is a big piece in the new issue that talks about good beer in cans, and that's a can of Dale's up in the corner there. So, But we've had to spend a good bit of our time educating the press and going to experts. When we started, we would send our beer to anyone we could that was a beer writer or a beer editor or a, a beer professional and get that beer in their hands to get past that misconception. So, yeah, I think another the, taste of beer? I think the first... Uh, uh, within the first two years, before cans were lined back in the 30s, mm-hmm. um, there were some flavor issues. Absolutely. And uh, the, they, got, they got a hold of it like, oh, to make this a viable package, we need to solve this. And yep. uh, so coating uh, cans so that there would be no contact with the metal was definitely something that was solved about 70 years ago. Yep. And it really made what we do possible, as did this gear from cask. And nowadays, in, in our new facility in Longmont, We've graduated. We went from the, the two head filler to a new machine from the cast company that did five cans at a time. That was a big deal for us. Now we have a machine that's a 18-head um, filler. It speeds up our canning processes dramatically. So uh, making beer is now the hurdle for us to get our beer out. So, And we're in 25 states now. But are we ready for another beer? Okay. So now we have some Dale's Pale Ale coming out. So Again, our flagship beer. Some people have described it as Sierra Nevada Pale Ale on steroids, just as a sort of reference point for that great beer from Sierra Nevada. It's uh, a little more alcohol, a little more bitterness. This has about 65 IBUs, and it's 6.5% alcohol. So. And we also have some snacks, because as, as the program said, we're going to try to talk about the beer of Oscar Blues and some of the culinary treats from Colorado. The food part, yes. Thank you, Will. Little did we know when we pitched this idea that the people in Denver and in Colorado whose food we wanted to get would not be real keen on sending freshly made food across the country and then get it to our food distributor and then to the folks here. So we couldn't bring out some of the stuff we had, but we do have a few treats. Um, Many of us, when we first started drinking beer... um, we needed a munchie, so we're providing you something of an upscale munchie today. So, This is a handmade granola from our good friends in Colorado, Udi's Bakery. This is a, it's an all-malt, if you will, granola. It's um, made with Colorado honey, a blend of nuts, some dried fruit, and whole road flaked oats. And we think this is kind of a nice sweet treat to have with some Dale's Pale Ale, so... You know, it's kind of close, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, sir. Gary, how's it going? (laughs) Thank you, sir. Yep, in our early days, we wrote, like as I mentioned, we were getting our beer to the most demanding judges that we could. Yes, sir. Huh? Um, well, there's good water, but you can get good water just about any place. You can make your own good water, a town of a brewer. That's not a hurdle. Um, there is something unique about Colorado, I think. I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia. It's a wonderful place to live, but it was a beer wasteland. 
Um, I wrote a column for the Old Dominion University student newspaper. That's how I got into beer, writing about beer. And it was tough to find things to write about. And when my wife and I finally got out of school on the extended college plan, um, her family lives in Denver, and I was looking to move somewhere that had a beer culture where I might somehow make a living writing about beer. Um, After a few years, my wife, God bless her, said, are you sure this qualifies as a living writing about beer? I was, it was a stretch of the definition, but that's how I met Dale, and that's how I got on with the company there. So, But there is something there, certainly in Colorado, and I think Paul would attest to it. It's very much a, you're sort of in your own world in Colorado because it's an isolated state, but people seem to move there because they have a staunch do-it-yourself kind of attitude. And if there are things that are missing in their life, they figure out how to either make them or find other people that do, and they're big supporters of that kind of thing. So what, what do you think, Paul? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the proof of that is that a lot of brewers have followed Oscar Blues with canning. Uh, we see Ska, New Belgium, Tommyknocker. Uh, there's probably several more that uh, mm-hmm. escape me right now. Slide, well, yep. Col- in Colorado. Uh, they don't have a Colorado branch just yet. What's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Steamworks. Yeah. Yep. Um, And, uh, you know, there's a lot of nature out there in Colorado, and that has a lot to do with it. Um, uh, You know, our softball team, you know, (laughs) they they don't allow bottles, they don't allow kegs, which is kind of silly for the city of Boulder not to allow kegs on the softball fields, but uh, they do allow cans. Yep. And it's, yes, sir? You also bottle beer. We don't bottle any beer, no. Well, initially we did. We did 22-ounce bombers of Dales, and they went around Boulder County. But we haven't had any glass in our place in nearly seven years. And if you come to, we have a, the brew pub in Lyons. And in Longmont, we've built a tasting room inside of our brewery. It's called the Tasty Weasel. If you come there to get beer to go, we give you a large 1.3-liter can filled with our beer. So even our growlers are aluminum. So. Yes, sir. Avery or... Boulder or any of the other uh, uh, brew pubs have been uh, in Colorado for a while. I mean, wh- wh- what do you think? Do you, are you doing something special? You mean our, the, us collectively? Or? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, for a while in Colorado, Colorado brewers were kind of uh, forgetting about hops and were, had become obsessed with um, amber ales that were lean on hops, probably in part to the wonderful success of Fat Tire, and people were sort of trying to find their own sort of accessible beer. But then finally we all came to our senses and got back to doing what we really wanted to do, making the beers that we really wanted to make, and we sort of started embracing hops again. Adam Avery and his people, I mean, they've just, Hog Heaven was a life-changing beer for many of us. You had that beer, I mean, what, that beer's been around for 10 years. I have a few goosebumps right now just thinking about it. It changed things for a lot of people, and it, it was successful, and it inspired a lot of us to, to sort of do the same thing. And I think for us, the can was as much a, a sort of show of force. Of It was a very anti-craft you know, beer establishment package. It was the last package anyone would have considered for a really delicious craft beer. But to us, it was a way to, to physically show that we don't care what the status quo is. Craft beer is supposed to be about breaking rules and stretching boundaries and shattering perceptions. And what better way to do it than put really delicious beer in the most maligned package that had ever come to craft beer. So 
That's what we thought. So, But the beer itself, it's uh, finished with a centennial hop. We love that hop because while people on the West Coast, especially in the Northwest, have deep affection for the Cascade hop, and it's a wonderful hop, but we wanted something less citrusy and a little more woodsy, and that's the beauty of centennial hops. In this beer, you get a nice bracing amount of bitterness with the 65 IBUs. There's some uh, crystal malts, two kinds of crystal malt in the middle of the beer to add a little slight sweet kind of light caramel note to temper the hops. You get nice semi-unctuous hop flavors through about the back third, and then you get that nice crisp finish there and that good woodsy, resiny aroma there for the finishing up. And you know, it goes pretty well with granola. And since most people, since we're near Boulder, everyone assumes we wear patchouli and eat granola all the time. This is, if you're going to do it, you should, just like beer, you should have really good granola. And this is made by people who have never been to a Grateful Dead concert in their life. Yeah. And they don't wear tie-dye, but they understand good granola. So, are we ready for another beer? Okay. Good. If anyone ever flies Frontier Airlines, uh, Udi's is uh, one of the snacks on there. So That's right. It used to be, but Dale's we isn't on to, Frontier. Yeah, we're no longer on Frontier. A very large brewery with a facility in Golden squeezes off the plane. Golden City Brewing Company squeezed <laughs> you out? <laughs> That's what it was. Yep. And yes, sir. Sure. Uh-huh. And it's, it's very difficult because whatever it is, you just said by it, it's a nice wine, but it's no beer left. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now, we've had trouble. Uh, we've had some problems like getting the beers even in bottles that have crazy labels and stuff like that because yep. like the, yeah, it doesn't fit with the fine dining thing you know if right. they have a crazy name now now we're trying to get your beer which which I love your beer I experienced it a few years back in Colorado you. and you know at the Great American Beer Festival and all that and I, th- I thought it was and it holds up tonight I mean it's like this wonderful beer but a can in yes. a fine dining and Environment, it's very difficult. How do you put it's that taboo, in the, How do you put that in there? That's my question. Well, that's a very good question, and it's difficult because, yes, for most fine dining establishments, the last thing they want to set on that white tablecloth is a can of anything. So we have to first of all find a restaurateur with a sense of humor. First of all, find someone with some that appreciates the rule breaking nature of what we do. There's a restaurant in Duo, named Duo in Denver, maybe the finest restaurant in Colorado. The owners of that place love local beer, and they love the sort of blasphemy of setting a can of beer onto a white tablecloth. For them, it's part of their sort of mystique when the customer says, oh, oh, a can, and then they get a chance to tell them about the beer and the truth about cans. But we have lots of restaurants who do not want to do that. We even have some that have wanted to carry our beer on draft, but they didn't want our tap handles or our cans. On a, on a fitting and they're like we'd like to carry your beer but I can't have a can in the tap handle and our response is typically well then you probably shouldn't be carrying our beer because you don't have a good sense of humor but we have made some exceptions on a couple of occasions because the people like Simon who sell our beer and need all the tools they can get in our various states we've made some custom tap handles for people like that so works out Yes, well, here's what you do. Let me set this. It's very simple. 
when you do a dinner. You, if you have people, if you have, if, if you have a fine dinner, first of all, you you bring the can out and you show them the label. <laughs> And then you pop, you pop the top, you let it pause for a moment, then, this is crucial, you take the pull tab and turn it to the right, for, so that it's at a nice 90 degree angle. And then you have them smell the can, let the okay for you to, and if that's acceptable, then you simply set the can next to the glass and you're sold. You have the ritual there for the real ultra snooty diner who can't get past the can. So. You don't pour them a little bit and have them swirl it around we, we just to make sure, that. you know. Uh, sure. And it's funny, too, because when you have beer in a can, when we're doing festivals, it's, it's, it's funny for us. We'll be there, and people are walking down the line looking to see what beer they have. They see our cans there. They look. They smile. Yes. They keep walking. And you go, wait, I'm sorry. Would you like to try something? And they go, I'm good. Why is that? I don't drink canned beer. Well, have you ever had a canned beer that sent a shiver down your back? That made the hair on the back of your neck stand on end? Oh, no. Then you get them to come and try it. And usually the first thing, all we have to do is crack that can and have them smell it. And most people have never smelled hops coming from a can of beer. Then they taste the beer. That's a new experience for them as well. We tell people it's sort of like um, hearing... Aretha Franklin's voice come out of Ashley Simpson's mouth. It doesn't seem right, <laughs> but there it is. Another worldly experience from the least likely source. So, works pretty good. So, does anybody see the connection between the pale ale and the granola? Does it work in some level for you? Okay, good. Well, now we should go for another beer. I think we'll try the golden. Oh, you're on Old Children? Okay, good. Well, we've got some chocolates coming out with that. Yes. You're on the Old Chub now, is that right? Okay. Well, this was our second beer. When we came out with the Dales, and we had these people saying, I love your beer, but it's too strong, it's too rich. Can you make me a, a Pilsner? Our response was Old Chub. <laughs> 8% alcohol. That's right. 8% alcohol. Seven kinds of malts, including two Belgian specialty grains. And in the grain bill, about 3 or 4% of beechwood smoked malt that we import from Bamberg, Germany. So, now I met a guy earlier today. He said, I'm from Scotland, and your beer is not very Scottish, but I really like it. <laughs> and that's okay by us. It's kind of a, a genre bender, stretches the boundaries a little bit. So, Marty, uh, Gordon is coming out now. Okay. And... Um, uh, with the food items, uh, what should we eat with Gordon and what should yes, we hold on to? Yes, we have some to? chocolates coming out. Uh, there's one chocolate. It's an apricot dipped in chocolate. I'd like you to eat that chocolate with the Gordon. And then there's a second chocolate that we're going to have with some 1050 Imperial Stout. So we have, well, we'll talk about it in just a minute. But the old chub, when you try that beer, you get a nice sort of cocoa nose. Flavors of coffee and chocolate and caramel, kind of milk chocolate through there. There's some residual sugars in the beer by design. And then a hint of smoke on the finish to balance out the sweetness in the middle. So I hope you guys are getting that. That's been the top-rated Scottish ale at um, beeradvocate.com for about five years now. So pretty excited about that. And I should mention, as Paul mentioned, our pale ale, that was picked by the, in a blind tasting of top 25 U.S. pale ales oh, three summers ago by the New York Times as the top 
their top pale ale in the country. There's a magazine in Denver called 5280. They picked it as their top Colorado expert export. It's been one of the top five pale ales at ratebeer.com for four years in a row. We take great pride in making really good, luscious, thoughtfully crafted beer made with the finest ingredients stuck in the very unlikely package there. So, You guys have the Gordon now? Okay. So the chocolate that's coming around, Gordon, it's a, it's a hybrid beer. It's sort of a cross between a double red and a double IPA. Unlike a double IPA, which is drier and has more, resid- more uh, bitterness, a double red, you get, in our version especially, you get the aromatic and flavor joys of the hops you crave in a double IPA without the hop bitterness and the sort of slight punch in the mouth. Uh, this beer sits on a bed of Amarillo hops for about 10 days. That Amarillo hops has a, has a unique aroma that's sort of grandma's strawberry or apricot jam mixed with pine trees and a controlled substance you might have been familiar with in high school. It's a big, sticky, resiny, fruity aroma of a beer. That's why we call it the Big Red Sticky. So many people think of apricots. To me, that beer smells more like strawberry jam. But what's that, sir? That's right. So that's the beauty. That's why we have that chocolate. And these chocolates are made by one of our peers in the chocolate world in Denver. They're called Wen Chocolates. You can order their chocolates over the Internet. They make some really delicious, mind-blowing, small-batch chocolates. And they made this one just for tonight, pairing that straight, dark chocolate with an apricot there. So, How's that work as a pairing? Good. Good. Yes. <laughs> I think there are more. <laughs> we can do that, actually. So, but the Gordon, yeah, we just love the nose of that beer. When we meet people who think, uh, I don't see how beer, beer goes with a good meal. If you hand them some old Chubb or some Gordon, that's why we, those are the two beers we've been serving here tonight. They have the complexity of a good wine, the depth of flavor. The alcohol, they just work wonderfully with food. Old Chub, if you want to make a really good steak, take a can of Old Chub, uh, pour that in a casserole dish, and marinate your steak in that with a splash of... Uh, or, well, get, the, the recipe is simple. You get two cans of Old Chub, one in the dish, marinate the steak, one to drink while it's waiting. Yeah, works really good. And it's nice, too, because when you cook the steak, the residual sugars stay on the skin of the beef, and it adds some extra char. It puts a really nice char on that steak. So, Oh, you like that? Good. Right on. Good. Oh, thank you for asking. Gordon Knight opened some of the first brew pubs in Colorado, including the uh, Wolf Tongue Estes Park Brewery up in Estes Park. Before he got into brewing, he was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. His, one of his jobs was to fly over enemy territory and draw fire from the bad guys so that the military could find where to go find the bad guys. If you think you have a crappy job, ever, please think of Gordon Knight. But Gordon Knight was also, after he got back safe in Vietnam and opened some brew pubs, he was a firefighter in Boulder County. He flew helicopters and slurry bombers, and he died in a crash while fighting a fire outside of Lyons. So he was a fan of hoppy beers and he was a great ally and sort of Johnny Appleseed in our industry in Colorado. So 
to Gordon Knight. Thank you for asking about it. So, yeah, he was a wonderful guy, and this is our tribute beer to him. So we initially, this was our third beer. Um, we initially put it, bless you, sir. When you can beer, there are a couple of shortcomings. You have to buy, unlike bottles, where you can get blank bottles and print ten labels if you want. You can, the artwork is printed on the can. You have to order 150,000 cans at once. <laughs> so you have to be very committed to your beer. When you're filling those cans two at a time on a machine that can fit right there, it's an especially serious commitment. So what we did, I thought, well, how about this? We put it in plain aluminum cans and we'll put an adhesive label on the can like a bottle. And we thought, yes, that would be a clever way to get a few cases out. It turned out, as you might imagine, to be some of the most exciting work that we've ever done in the brewery, affixing adhesive labels to plain cans. So it became a year-round beer after that. So, um, And let's see, we're going to do the, the, the other 1050, that one. The black can first, yes. Um, let's see. Uh, that one, yeah. And save the silver ones for last. Because those are all the same, yes. Yeah. Thanks. Bless you, sir. Um, okay, we're moving along. Pretty good time, right? Yes, thank you very much. He, he wanted to know about some of the environmental bennies of cans. First of all, I want to say, bottles, we, we are big fans of bottles. The bottle is a wonderful package for beer. But it, but it has a couple of drawbacks, and one of them is weight. About a third of the weight of a bottle of beer is the bottle itself. So when you ship beer to 25 states like we do, we can get 35% more beer on a truck. So we shrink our carbon footprint dramatically, cut our fuel cost, and there's cans are also the most recycled beverage package on the planet. They're back in the shelf from as little as 60 days. A recycled can loses, uses about 70, 95% less energy and 98% less pollution. So a lot of green bennies to the can. So That's right. <laughs> okay, now we have some 1050. This is a, uh, the most viscous beer most people have ever seen. If you swirl that beer in your glass, you'll see that it has a sort of motor oil viscosity. Yeah. Hence the name 1050, sort of a reference to 10W50 motor oil. So it's also opaque. It's fun when you fill out the judging sheets and they or for like for a magazine for review and they say, what color is your beer? Black. Period. You can't see through that beer. Yes, we're going to... The, the second chocolate, that's a really deep, extra dark chocolate. Let me... Uh, I'll take that. Proper technique for the fitty drink. Well, thank you, sir. I'd say take a sip of the ten fitty first, and then get a bite of the chocolate. Mid sip. There you go, Will. <laughs> and then a bite of the chocolate. I'd say take a bite and let it sit. On, let it sit on your tongue. Let the chocolate melt and melt with the flavors of the beer a little bit. Isn't that nice? Yep. We've... Oh, good. Now, the 1052, when you swirl it in your glass, you see it, it provides a nice espresso head. When the beer pours out, it usually leaves the can still, and then this nice tawny head appears in the top of the glass there. So. Now, this is about a 10% alcohol beer. 
It's made with a large amount of flaked oats. That's what gives it that sort of malted milkshake. It sort of adds that extra malted milkshake flavor. Um, we put out this beer two winters ago, just kind of on a lark, and it flew off the shelves and became a real cult favorite. It's won lots of great accolades like the rest of our beer. The guys at beeradvocate.com, the, one of the pull quotes we used was, this puts the A in holy crap. So, we thought that was pretty accurate. Yes. The Denver Post called this the beer of the year, and um, we were very happy about that. So, Yes, thank you, sir. But if this beer makes, when we do beer dinners, and you talked about elevating the image of beer, an event like this is just perfect for this, isn't it? Because it is a struggle for us. When you, if you were a, with a winery and you call a food editor in America and say, I'd like to talk to you about a wine dinner, that's, everybody understands that. There would be no giggling coming over the other line. But it's despite the gains in education we've made in America, people still snicker at the concept of a beer dinner. They still don't quite understand it. So things like this event and beer dinners, we do them on a regular basis, they really go a long way in elevating the image of beer and its role in the culinary experience. So, and this beer in particular makes the ultimate finisher for a night. So really works great. Say that again. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's a hurdle for sure. But we found our audience, and we're doing okay. So, um, anybody have any questions about the ten fifty? There. Does the beer move you? That's the big question. Okay. Good. What's that? Yes, that's a that's a blend of um, that chocolate has a little bit of hazelnut liqueur in it. Um, it's got a little cayenne pepper. It's got some smoked salt in it. And I think it's three kinds of really deep, dark chocolate blended together in sort of a truffle kind of thing. Isn't that good? Good. Yes, sir. Question. Uh, Marty, uh, you know, a few years ago, I think we had a hard time selling beer in a can. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today, do you find that there are a lot of people clamoring for beer Absolutely. in a can? Yeah. I met people today that come up and say, yeah. man, you've changed my camping experiences forever. People in the state of Indiana, for example, or you know, not having heard no? from too many in Indiana just yet. <laughs> well, there there are some, believe me. But it is true. We meet a lot of people that try beer for the first time because they're going camping and they really want a good portable beer. And six years ago, your options were mainstream stuff, and if you were lucky, you could find some Heineken in a can, which is a very nice beer too. But yep. What's up? Are they really? That's beautiful. Well, there's an endorsement in here somewhere. I mean... Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, I tell you, see, and this is why we do what we do right there. So, okay, we have one more beer coming. So, um, and this is... Yes, sir. Environmental friendliness. Yep. My wife and I just got back from Lithuania for a three-week vacation, and what they do for uh, at the breweries is they have a dark brown colored soda can in one liter or two liter bottles, and you can buy it to go. It's like a growler, but it's made out of thin polyethylene. 
Oh, and when wow. you when you finish with it, you can crush it and put it in recycling, mm-hmm. or you can save it and use it again and again. Just wash it out and use it again and again. Wow! So I thought that was a great uh, innovation and something that I've never seen here in the states. Yeah. Cancer-causing agent. Though. That is, I don't genius. know about that. But, but I should I, mean, I should mention this chocolate too. I think there was some clove and allspice on that. So there's that really. There's a, yeah, isn't that really good? Yeah, some cinnamon. It has yeah. Clove in it, yeah. I don't. I think. Uh, I think it's already been all out there. There's one more for the first one who can get to that tray, but that's it. Okay, so the last beer we have, we wanted to provide an extra special treat beyond my CD of five songs dealing with beer. So this is the beer coming around. This is the only canned barrel-age 1050 in the world. So this is extremely inside. So we had our brewers can up. A six pack. Thank you very much, sir. It is kind of a mind blower, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you. Well, we're dreaming of doing, we, we age all of our beers in used whiskey barrels from Strandhands, Colorado Whiskey. We make the wash that they make their whiskey from. And. This is one of those, so, and I hope I can get a taste of that. Oh, God. Because, like I say, these are the only six cans of barrel-aged 1050 in existence here tonight, so. Let's see. Does anyone want to comment on this beer? It's, it's really nice and soft. Um, it's it, it's mellow. Yeah, it's definitely soft. I mean, I, I think that compared to, I mean, and... 1050 by itself is great, but it mellows it out. I mean, the oak, you know, the barrel definitely softens that, makes it a little bit. Isn't that something? I, I dare say, drink, you know, drinkability. You know, yes. but, oh, no, not, you know, not the D word. <laughs> but that's true, and that's what barrel aging does. It does sort of round out a beer, it's, it softens the edges a little bit, and especially in this beer, this beer goes from being sort of the ultimate. Stout mixed with God's chocolate ice cream, blended with some espresso, to now there's a shot of really good whiskey blended in and some oak and vanilla flavors there. So but we wanted everybody to get isn't that good? Good. Did you have a question there, sir? Uh, yes. I'm out there periodically, uh-huh. but you know well, it happens at your place. That's right. Well, yes, in the basement of our pub in Lyons, we have an arcade filled with about 27 vintage 1980s video games. That's a lot of fun. And then, yep, and at our tasting room in Longmont, um, we do tours on Saturdays and Sundays. And if you shoot me an email, let me know when you're coming. I'll give you a private tour and show you around. And we make a habit at the Tasty Weasel to always have at least one barrel-aged beer on draft at the Tasty Weasel there, so. All of them. Well, everything but the Pilsner. We've, we do uh, Old Chubb. That becomes Chuburban. And we're hoping to actually do a small run of Chuburban in cans in the, in the fall. Um, the Gordon, we barrel-age that. <clears throat> the Dale's Paleo, we barrel-age that. So, yep. Um, Whitewater Rack. That's right. 
Well, the whiskey is uh, Strandange Colorado whiskey. He was asking what kind of whiskey is Strandange Colorado whiskey. It's an all malt, small batch whiskey. We make the beer. It's called distiller's wash is the technical term. We make a custom beer for them, ferment it out, then filter it, and then they run that through their stills down in Denver. So originally Flying Dog was their partner. Yes, it's an unhopped wort made from a custom recipe, yeah. And pretty soon, in the next few weeks, they're going to start making their wash at their own place in the old Heavenly Days uh, brewery setting there. So. What's that? Um, well, we get them after they've been drained. And how long do we use them for? Oh, they age their whiskeys for about three years. Yeah, from the distillery. When? No, it's a whiskey. It's a hundred percent malted barley, Colorado whiskey. We try to pick them up when there's a couple fifths of whiskey still in the barrel. <laughs> when they're wet. No, Marty. Yeah. You drain those those uh, little bit of whiskey out. Oh, absolutely. I'm sorry. They're, you're with the government, you say? <laughs> they're totally dry. <laughs> no, but we get them after they empty them, and, and they're still wet within a couple days. Bring them to the pub, and then we put beer in them, and then age them for... Six months. This beer has been in the barrel about four months. This is barrel aged 1050 Imperial Stout. And like I say, let me just say again, it was available nowhere else on the planet. Six of a kind in this room tonight. Yes. Are you guys ever going to make Duchess of Lions again? Good question, Simon. Uh, We called it the Duke of Lions. Yes. It was our tribute to the Duchess of Burgundia. Our friends at New Belgium gave us an old La Folie barrel, and we put our one-nut brown ale in it, and then we abused that barrel for two years. We put it in the sun, we left it in the snow, we moved it around, and then we drained about, well, we got a few, I think, four full kegs of beer out of that, and it created such a stir. Simon, he's with our distributor. These guys are from Georgia, and our distributor who kicks butt, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a wonderful Belgian-style sour brown ale, that, but it will never exist again to answer your question. It was a one-time only thing because we were uncomfortable having Britannomyces and those things in the brew house. And Yes, it's it's a little scary. It may come back someday, but right now, no plans for that. So, yes, it's in Longmont. It's actually you walk in the door; it's inside the brewery. When you sit at the bar, the tanks are right behind you, and we have a little live music in there, and yeah, lots of fun. So, who who would like some more barrel aged ten fifty, or shall I just take this can home? <laughs> I am a musician, yep, I have a... Well, I wanted to bring a guitar and play some songs tonight, but they were worried that it would bleed over into the next room. So. Yeah. No, we don't want to do that. That's Hugh Systems over there. He's a heavy. <laughs> no. Who needs another taste? There we go. Okay, but the CD, yes. I have a couple CDs out that has five songs that mention beer or deal directly with beer. And my 
My band records a new record in June, and the big hit from the record is going to be my tribute to college-age drinking called Maintaining a 2.0. So, <laughs> it's it's going to get me out of this town. <laughs> Like lighter beers or heavier beers? Yeah, that didn't work either, did it, Will? <laughs> okay, let's see. Can we get those CDs out? Or? Uh, yeah, we'll give them out at the door here. Okay, but great. Okay, who has a question? I have nothing. No question? Boy, that's really good, that barrel-aged fitty. <laughs> you know, uh, Marty, uh, this is uh, being uh, recorded by Craft Beer Radio. Oh, cool. So I think uh, we ought to give something for the people at home. Yeah. Ah. Uh, <laughs> what a beautiful sound. Yep. Yeah. Anybody have a question? Yes, sir. <laughs> I'm not going to, as Paul said, this is being recorded and I'm not going to touch that. Okay, but I do want to say something about Coors. When I moved to Colorado from Virginia, I was aware of how Anheuser-Busch, how they handled craft beer. And let's say they were less than supportive. One thing I did not know is that Coors has been extremely supportive pretty much from day one for most people that I've talked to in Colorado. They have not been out to squash the movement or to get in the way. And it's been... It's changed my perception about their brewery and how they handle things. So, so uh, they make some wonderful beer there. Yep. Yep. So, has the consolidation of Miller Coors distributors uh, impacted your brewery at all? Um, it has impacted us. We have to, as you probably know, when you're a lot happens between making the beer and getting it to the shelf for you to buy it. You have to have good distributors and for sure it's going to be more difficult for a little company like us to have the mind share, I hate that cliche, but to have the attention and focus of the people who sell beer when they can walk into a store and, you know, drop 500 cases of Miller Lite and another 500 of Coors Light without blinking an eye. But we're saying, but wait, you could have sold them seven cases of 1050. Where's your head? <laughs> it's You have to keep it in perspective. It'll make things a little bit tougher. But I do want to say one thing, too, because someone earlier in the week, while I've been hanging out in Virginia, mentioned... They use the term movement for craft beer. And it's probably old news to you, but all of us take really great pride in the fact that we are a part of a movement. Us as makers of great beer, you guys as sellers of great beer, you folks as consumers of great beer. 25 years ago, people looked at America as a wasteland of beer making. We were kind of a joke. That was the only thing we had, essentially. But in a very, very short time... We pulled off something that has been the equivalent of Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Ramones, and Jason the Scorchers. We've had a cultural upheaval in America, and we've taken a country who was snickered at for its beer and made it the greatest beer-making country on the planet, without question. So it is a movement, and it's really great to be a part of it. So cheers to you. Well, thank you, Marty. Uh, please join me in thanking Marty with a round of applause. And we've got about 15 minutes left downstairs. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Thank you for listening to Craft Beer Radio. If you have questions or comments, you can email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. The opening and closing music is Last Hurrah from the band The Lights Out. You can listen to more of their music at their website, thelightsout.com. Some people get